Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. Due to CDC recommendations, we are live streaming our services until further notice. You can join us online at 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday mornings on our YouTube channel by searching for A10 Sunday Morning, or you can watch this last week's message at area10church.com. For more information, you can visit area10church.com slash now to learn more about what is happening at Area 10 Church right now. We hope to see you back at the Bird Theater again soon. Good morning, Area 10, and everyone joining us from all over the place. So glad you could be with us on this Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. Uh, Really excited to be here with you. I wish we could be in person, but this will have to do, I guess, for a while. And so um, I'm excited to, to, to do this with you. We've been in this series called Heartbeat, and we're talking, and I want to talk today about a heart-stopping moment. And I was thinking back in my own life to the heart-stopper moments. You know, not like your heart literally stops, but you just had this like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. And some of them are good and some of them are bad. I, I, I was thinking back to heart-stopping moments I've felt in the world of sports, Maybe it's because we haven't had any sports in a month uh, that I'm thinking about it. And, but I was thinking back to the Masters tournament of 2005 when Tiger Woods was in contention to win the thing at Augusta. This was one of the greatest shots I've ever seen in sports. It's on the 16th hole and he had to win. Uh, he, had to do, he had to do really well on this hole um, and he hits it up way up high above the hole. The ball kind of turns to the right and starts rolling down the hill and heading right towards the hole. Uh, just the pressure of this moment and then it stops and then the ball drops in and it is like this heart stopping moment really one of the most pressure situations I've ever seen and the, the best shots under pressure in sports. The other one I was thinking of was in, and maybe you're not a soccer fan like me, but in the world, everybody's a soccer fan, at least for the World Cup. In the World Cup in 2010, the United States had to, to beat Algeria in order to move on to the next round. But the whole game had gone on 90 minutes and they're in stoppage time, kind of overtime. And there's only a couple minutes left and it's still a 0-0 tie. And at that moment, the Algerian team shoots at Tim Howard, who was a stud in goal. He throws the ball halfway down the field to one of the U.S. players. They pick it up, start moving down. Just a few minutes left in this game. They take it all the way down. They take a shot. The keeper deflects it, and Landon Donovan slots it home for the win. Everybody went crazy uh, as the U.S. moved on to the next round. I don't know where you were when, you, when that happened. Maybe you weren't watching it. But there are videos on YouTube of people watching that moment, of just watching that happen. I was in Home Team Girl and the Fan, and people went crazy. People hugged each other, high-fived, the tension. It was just a heart-stopping moment. It was incredible. You were kissing babies. You were kissing strangers. It was unbelievable, that moment. It was a heart-stopper. Now, there's been other heart-stoppers that aren't nearly as fun. Some of you remember, if you're old enough, you remember exactly where you were on September 11th, 2001. You remember watching that plane hit, maybe the second plane hit the tower, you remember when it started to fall, and, and you remember what that felt like in your heart, where, where you thought, is, is this really happening? It was kind of a heart-stopper moment. Um, I think the most personal heart-stopper moment I've experienced was in 2011. My oldest son had been sick for about a week with what we thought was something like the flu, and he was throwing up, and, and then he, he said it hurt to go to the bathroom, and so we took him into the hospital to get an ultrasound, and they were just going to look at his abdomen because he was having pain, 
And uh, the ultrasound people came and then the doctor came in and they started talking in kind of hushed tones. And my son and I were sitting there um, in, in the room and, and the doctor says to me, she says, do you want to talk about this in front of your son or do you want to step outside? And at that point I was like, oh, what, what's going on here? And so we, we stepped outside and she said, your son has a mass in his abdomen uh, and it's, it's big and I think you need to go to MCV to the hospital right away. Um, and I got teary immediately, and I called my wife, uh, and we went to the hospital, and we checked into the emergency room, and they took a look at him and, and asked a lot of questions like they do, and um, at some point, my, my wife shows up there, and we're all meeting there together, and the doctor says to us, we're concerned that this is cancer, uh, and so they moved him to the oncology floor. Um, and when a doctor tells you that your seven-year-old has cancer, or they're concerned that it's cancer, um, that is a heart-stopping moment. I will never forget what that feels like. And it is true what they say. Once the doctor says the word cancer, you don't remember anything they say after that. But it was really intense. It ended up, uh, we found out 24 hours later, it wasn't cancer. It was a perforated appendix. Um, but it was, it, was a, it was just a scary time. And uh, it was a heart-stopping moment where you, where you go, I can't believe this is real. I bring all that up because I want to talk about this historical heart-stopping moment that happened uh, 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. The disciples who had followed Jesus around for three years, they'd been close to him, his closest friends and family. Uh, they had seen him come to Jerusalem, and on Friday of, of, this, of this week, during the Passover, they had a heart-stopping moment where their hero, their leader, their king, Jesus is murdered, brutally, publicly executed by the Roman authorities because of the pressure from the Jewish leaders. He gets killed on that Friday and hung on a cross, submitted to, and he submits himself to public humiliation and scorn and death. And he dies on that Friday. That is a heart-stopping moment for the disciples. But just, but just a few days later on that Sunday morning, uh, something incredible happens, and it's another heart stopper. And I want to read to you, the gospel writers all write about this, because this is the key thing about all Christianity. Christianity does not hinge on the golden rule or on the teachings of Jesus or, you know, uh, was the world created in six days or anything like that. Christianity hinges on this historical event in, in the first century. And I want to read it to you from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Uh, here's what it says. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid." You can imagine these women going to the tomb expecting to find a dead body and bringing the spices to anoint this dead body um, and, and going there after they had seen their hero crucified and they get there and that tomb is empty and they see what Mark describes as a young man but what other uh, writers of the New Testament describe as an angel. They, they see this angel who says, yeah, he's, 
He's not here. He's, he's left the tomb. He's walked out of this tomb. He's gone. He has defeated death. And it's a powerful thing, and it would have been profoundly confusing to, 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 those, to those ladies as they, as they saw that. Um, it was a heart-stopping moment where they're, where they're standing there at the tomb, and they're going, is this really happening? Did this, did this happen? I, I can't believe he's gone. And verse 8 says that they were, they were terrified and said nothing. Like, this freaked them out. This was their heart-stopper moment. And you can imagine why they couldn't believe it. Because although in the first century they didn't understand science the way we understand science, they still knew, here's the deal. Everybody who dies stays dead. Dead people stay dead. They, they know that. We know that. That's the way the world works. They've seen it their whole lives. And yet, what they were being asked to believe in this moment was that there was this dead guy. They saw him die. They saw a sword pierced his side. They saw him hung on a cross and die and bleed out and give up his life. They saw that happen. And, and they're having this moment where they're going, but, but wait, he was, die- he was dead, but now he's back from the dead. This rocked their world. And I want you to think about it for a second because if this is an historical event, if this really happened um, and, and and, and it happened in history, just as we're reading about it, it it's, a, it's a game changer. It, it, it adds a layer to all of this. I mean, Jesus taught good things, but a lot of people in history have taught good things. There have been a lot of good teachers who say nice things, who say profound things. They, they had some version of the golden rule, all of that stuff. But if Jesus comes back from the dead, that adds another layer to his credibility, wouldn't you say? I, I mean, if... if if we all know that dead people stay dead and then this guy comes along and, and when faced with death, he's like, nah, I'm not having it. And he sort of kicks, kicks death in the teeth. Um, I'm gonna listen to that guy with whatever else he said because he's doing something different. He's playing chess when the rest of us are playing checkers. That's, so there's profound implications of the resurrection in that day, but really for us today too because it adds credibility to everything that he ever taught or said. But let me address the elephant that's in the room right now. Maybe in the room that I'm in or in your living room or your house or whatever. Let's address this because everything I just said to you requires faith, right? You have to choose to believe what I said. You don't know. Um, it, it requires faith. faith. Now, we're used to having faith about some things. They tell me that in China right now, there's a wall that was built a long time ago, and they call it a Great Wall, and it goes on for a really long, long thousands of miles through the country, and I, I guess it's very impressive. Um, I've never been there. I've never experienced it with my, my five senses, but other people have, and they've shown me pictures, and they've said that it really exists, so I, I live, even though I've never had direct contact with it, I, I live by faith that it's there. It's reasonable for me to believe that because other people have gone, and they've seen it, and, and they've been there, done that. That's reasonable, but anything in history... I have to believe with some measure of faith. They say about 100 plus years ago, there was a great war, the war to end all wars. It went on, lots of people died. Nobody who fought in that war is alive anymore. So I don't have any direct contact with any direct witnesses of that. So I have to believe it in faith. It's a reasonable thing to believe. Even though I wasn't there, it's reasonable to believe because people wrote it down and they tracked it for me and, and they've told me that it happened. But you keep going back through history, things like the Black Plague or any stuff in the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages. Like, uh, as you go back through history, you have to believe things 
on faith because you can't be there to touch and taste and smell and, and really experience those things. You have to believe that reasonable people wrote them down and that they weren't lying to you. And the same thing is true with the resurrection, that Jesus came back from the dead. It is so long ago, and we don't have any direct contact with witnesses. There's a lot of historical diff- distance between us in America and in, in the 21st century to the first century in Israel. There's a lot of distance of culture and, and, and time there. And so we have to believe it on faith. And it's a hard thing to believe on faith because not only is it a long time ago, it's also highly improbable. Let's be honest about that. It's highly improbable that somebody died and they came back from the dead because you know it to be true as well. Dead people stay dead. And so you may sit there and you go, I've got some doubts about this whole story. All this Easter thing, I've got doubts. Well, let me talk to you for a few minutes about that because um, if you're a cynic or a skeptic or a doubter, uh, let me just say, you are my people. Uh, I... I have a cynical streak in me, a doubting streak. And, and I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it's family of origin stuff. My parents are both from England and maybe uh, British people are cynical. Uh, if you get bombed through a couple wars, that'll probably do it for you. You know, I, I, maybe they come by it honestly, I, I, I get that. Um, but even if you're just trying to logically think this whole thing through the resurrection, it's, it makes sense that you're gonna have some doubts. Um, life is difficult and things don't add up the way this resurrection story adds up. And so you're thinking it through and, and, and maybe you'd be cynical about it. Maybe in our culture, you could just go, look, if you're not cynical, you're not paying attention. That's just the way life is. So how do we deal with doubt? And, and, and how do we deal with people who are doubting? So maybe you're not having doubts, but you have friends who have a lot of doubts about this. Well, there's a great scripture in the New Testament in the book of Jude. I really love this. I want to read it to you. It's Jude in Jude 1, verses 20 through 22. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. I love this. Build yourselves up in your faith, pray in the Spirit. He, he's talking about perseverance and staying with your faith and and living your faith out and, and keep yourselves in love of God, pray in the Holy Spirit, like live this faith out, continue to walk in this faith journey. And he says right there at the end, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on people who doubt. Don't make fun of them. Don't be like, just get it together or just believe or anything like that. Have mercy on those who doubt. So if you're sitting here today and I tell you about the resurrection, you're saying, I, got, I have my doubts It's my job to love you. It's my job to have mercy on you, uh, to to walk with you about them. And, and, And let's be honest about our doubts because we all have them. I think there are three types of doubt that I wanna cover here with you just briefly. Three types, and and this is important because there's a lot of things the scripture teaches that are hard to believe. Jesus is born of a virgin. Creation, the the world was made in six days. The universe was made in six days, that that kind of stuff. Moses parted the Red Sea. There's, There's stuff that you read through the scripture, you're like, Mm, come on, like, I don't know if that's true. I've got my doubts. Let's talk about what kind of doubts we have. Number one, we have emotional doubts, emotional doubts. 
Sometimes our doubts sound intellectual, but they're not really intellectual. We can say things like, I don't really believe in a God who created the universe and he's like way up there and we're all down here and, and like, I don't, I don't believe in that. I understand science better than that. I understand evolution. I understand the processes of the Big Bang and all that kind of stuff. I have these doubts. But the truth is, you're not, it's not really like an intellectual doubt that you're raising. It's more of an emotional doubt. A lot of us have doubts about God because honestly, we're just kind of ticked off. Like, and, and that's understandable. Like bad things have happened to others, to us. And when you've been the victim of pain and suffering, abuse, when you lose a job, when you lose a family member, when someone dies, when someone hurts someone, um, it's very easy in those moments to go, why is this happening? And to even go, I have doubts that God exists right now because if God existed, he wouldn't let this happen to me. And I get that. Um, and, and we need to have mercy for people in that situation because we're all there at some point. I get that we have those doubts, but let's be honest about them. They're not intellectual. They're actually emotional. We're disappointed. So we have emotional doubts. The second kind of doubts that we have are reasonable doubts. Number two, reasonable doubts. This is when you're in college and you, and you come across a professor who tells you that the, the Bible has thousands of discrepancies in it and in the texts, in the ancient texts, there's all these discrepancies and you go, man, I never thought about that. And what, that means there's errors in the Bible. And I always thought it didn't have errors. And so now the, the book that I grew up with now, and, and like it has been blown out of the water by someone telling me that there, there's these, these discrepancies. And, and so those are intellectual doubts. They're reasonable doubts. You go, well, maybe it's not reasonable to believe in the Bible because it's, it says these things and these are hard to, um, these are hard to, square away and maybe I should just stop pretending in God that there's a God at all. And, we, and so we have those sort of thoughtful, reasonable doubts. And I have a lot of respect for reasonable doubts. Uh, I think that is home base for me uh, to, to doubt and, and try to use my brain for it, I guess. Um, and I, God gave us brains and he wants us to use them. And he gave us a sense of reason and I think we should reason through things. So um, it's, it's a big deal. And, and, and it's okay to have reasonable doubts. Because if you think about what Christianity is telling us, that Jesus died on a cross and then he rose from the dead, and that we are supposed to die to ourselves, we are supposed to be crucified with Christ in some way, and then we are going to live again after death, we're going to raise from the dead, that's a lot to swallow. And you should poke and prod it. You should ask questions about that. I, I understand that we would have doubts about that. If, if you believe all of it and you don't have doubts, maybe you're not taking it serious enough. Christianity is not an easy ask. It's not just like, you know, kittens and rainbows. It is some hard stuff. And we need to really think through what is being asked of us to live out our faith. And so it, it's okay that we have reasonable doubts. I get it. For me, I had to do work on the resurrection. Did Jesus really come back from the dead? If everything hinges on that, it matters if it really happened. Did he come back from the dead? Did he, you know, was, was he really dead? Was there an empty tomb? How do we know? How could we understand that? How can we access that kind of information when it happened thousands of years ago? Maybe you need to do the work on that. I understand because it's, it hasn't happened before. It's an unusual thing. I had, and it's so outside of normal experience of life. All miracles are outside of the normal experience of life. That's why they're miracles. That's why they're supernatural. The question isn't just, do I believe in the resurrection? The question is kind of, do I believe in miracles at all? 
Do I believe in the possibility of, of things like that happening? I know it doesn't happen in normal experience, but could it have happened? Which brings us to our last kind of doubt, and these are called volitional doubts. Volitional meaning the, the choice. When we choose to doubt, even when we have no reason to do so, it's one thing to have a reasonable doubt. Okay, I, I, did, I, I kind of did the mental math on this, and I, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm not sure Jesus could have been born of a virgin. Okay, I, I get that. But volitional doubts is we're going, I'm just going to choose to kind of live in this space of doubt. That's like going to be home base for me. I will just camp out in, in, in doubt. Doubt becomes my, my default. And there's a lot of that in our culture right now. It's really the air we breathe. We, uh, we, are, we are doubting people. We are, we are doubtful about all sorts of things. We doubt our politicians. We haven't believed them for decades. We, we doubt our systems that we have of education. We doubt, we doubt the public school. We doubt private school. We doubt homeschoolers because they're crazy. Uh, we doubt, we doubt all, all of the systems that are around us, right? Um, social media is being manipulated by the Russians right now. Like you're going to have to doubt everything that you read and, and, and someone's playing around with the algorithms and all that kind of stuff. Like there, we doubt everything. Uh, and, and there's a name for that in our culture. It's called postmodernism. So if the modern world was, was reason and science and, and you know, just the facts kind of thing that we kind of had from the Enlightenment up until about 50 years ago or so, we're, we've now got the postmodern world where, where we're kind of cynical, where we kind of doubt any grand story about anything, where we doubt that anything is true, where we, where we, we yeah, we doubt pretty much everything. That's the postmodern world we live in. And the digital age, especially in the last 10 years, has basically thrown gas on, the, on that fire and has, has just made it even more, that, that there would be even more doubts that we would have. I mean, think about it. Anything you claim to be true is up for debate. Anything, not just the resurrection. You could say to me that Frozen is the greatest animated film of all time. It's not. But... If you believed it, there's articles online that would back that up. And then I could find you 10 articles that would tell you that that's not true. You could tell me Bob Dylan's the greatest songwriter that ever lived, and you may believe that, but I'll find 10 articles quickly. I don't, it, a quick Google search, I'll find all the reasons why you're wrong. You could tell me that this drug will work to cure COVID-19, and I could find all the people that will say that that's wrong. That's just the world we live in. We just have those kind of doubts. And you don't even need to look up the counter argument. You just know that it exists out there somewhere, and that's enough. This is how we, we live in this space of doubt. This is how the cynicism gets us, is I don't need to know your counter-argument. I don't need to look up why you're wrong. I just know someone out there thinks you're wrong, and that's enough for me. Um, and it becomes uh, uh, this, these volitional doubts. We, we move to this space where we're just choosing doubt as our default posture. And the way it sounds with the resurrection, when we talk about Jesus coming back from the dead, we sort of go, coming back from the dead, that's ridiculous. No reasonable person would believe that. No intelligent person would believe that someone came back from the dead. And listen, when we say that, we're not debating the merits of did he come back from the dead or not. What we're doing is we're saying, I'm the kind of person that won't believe that. And I want to align myself with the other kinds of people who won't believe that. So it's, it's, it's a little move there where you don't debate this is wrong because of X. You're just saying, I'm these kind of people and these kind of people don't believe that kind of thing. Um, and, it's, and it's a way of sort of grabbing almost like this moral, moral high ground. Um, 
and, and, and you see this, this a lot. And, and usually what we say around religion or around the resurrection, and we say this a lot. I, I saw this on Twitter yesterday, so this, this shows up all the time. We say things like, um, well, you know, people who believe in the resurrection are religious people, and religious people are just sheep who follow their leaders, and religious people really need to learn how to think for themselves. And when we say that, what are we saying? We're saying, um, you people over there, you don't think for yourself, you just follow other people. Me, though, I think for myself, which is great moral high ground to grab. Uh, I wanna be the kind of person who thinks for themselves, right? Uh, That sounds really good. But we're saying religious people don't think for themselves, other people do. The problem with that is that all thinking is social thinking. Nobody really thinks for themselves. Actually, what they do is they say, I was thinking with this group of people, but now I'm going to align myself and start doing my thinking along the lines of this group of people. And they just switch which group they're thinking with. They're not actually thinking for themselves. They're just aligning themselves with a different group. And when Christians are the out group, when you go, oh, they're weird, they're the problem in America, they're whatever, it's very easy to go, I'm not gonna think like them, I'm gonna think like this other group because I don't wanna be associated with this, with this sort of out group. Um, and, 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 I, and I get all of that, I get why we do it, and, and, and our faith hangs on the resurrection, and the resurrection is just hard to believe, and it would be easy to go, I'm just gonna think for myself and not believe in that. But here's the questions I want you to ask yourself on Easter Sunday. Um, I'm telling you that Jesus died on a Friday and came back from the dead on Sunday. And because of that, your life can change and my life can change and we can have meaning and purpose and we have hope and we have a future. I'll tell you all of that and then here's two questions. Number one, ask yourself, do I believe it? Do I believe it happened? Do I really believe it? because a lot hinges on your answer to that question. But the related question to that question is this, what do I want to believe? What do I want to believe? Because that's in the background of how you answer, do I believe it? What do you want to believe? You, you're going to, we are, we are not just thinkers, we have emotions, we have desires, we have wants, and all of that stuff's gonna come into play. And whether you believe it or not is in part influenced by what you want. What is your desire? Be honest about it. Now, if you're skeptical, if you're a doubter, let me just give you one more, one more resource here. On Thursday night, and I'll do this for several Thursday nights, we'll start this week, uh, I'm gonna start a, a, a Zoom online meeting, chat kind of thing. Maybe you're Zoomed out at this point, I don't know, but when we're all in our house, it's what we got. I'm gonna do a Zoom chat this coming Thursday night, and we'll do it for several weeks, and I'm just calling it Skeptics Anonymous except you won't be incredibly anonymous. <laughs> but it'll be a chance to come together and talk about our doubts. And I'll present on a topic for a few minutes and then we'll just do a lot of questions so that you can ask and go, all right, what about this and what about this and help me understand this and let's work through this. And we can have a, a, a go back and forth and do that. There should be information in, in, the, in the live stream chat. It's also gonna be at area10church.com slash now of where you can sign up. We need you to sign up for that so that we can know who's coming and send you an invitation. But I'd love for you to join me on that. The truth about the resurrection is I think there are, there are good reasons to believe in it. 
And for the early people who saw it, they believed in it to the point of death. 11 out of the 12 disciples are going to die for their faith. They're going to die not because they believed in the golden rule, not because they loved Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. They're not going to die because one time they saw him feed thousands of people with loaves and fish. They're not going to die because they saw Jesus walk on water. They're going to die because they believed and taught for the next several decades that Jesus was dead and then he wasn't dead. And they believed and taught that we are going to one day die and then we won't be dead. Like we will come back from that just as Jesus has. That's, that's what they believed. And, and I think that message that the early disciples died for and that they believed, I think that message still matters today. One of the things that the coronavirus has done, I think for Americans and maybe all over the world, has moved the thought about death or the conversation about death a little more front and center. And that's the thing we don't like to do. We, we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. It seems sad. We don't really want to go there. But death, the death conversation has moved a little more front and center. And so um, this, is, this is when Easter's important. What do you really believe about what happens when you die? Uh, and, and Easter speaks into that because Jesus died and then came back from the dead. And you're going to have to choose to believe. You can choose to believe that Jesus was born and he suffered and he died for your sins and my sins. And he came back from the dead and that when we die, we can come back from the dead and join him. If we give our lives to him, if we get baptized, we, we confess our faith, we follow Jesus. If we do that, we will, we will live with him. Again, you can choose to believe that. Or you can believe that uh, along with the, the uh, there's a French poet wrote the shortest poem in history. The poem says, born, suffered, died. Um, I'm guessing he wrote that before he died, not after. Uh, so you can, you can believe that life actually is just that. We're born, we suffer, and we die, and there's no point. There's no meaning to it. There's no way to understand it. It's relatively random, and that's just the way it is. And it's just, life is just basically a tragedy, and we all are just kind of on this stage, and we strut and fret about, but nothing really becomes of it, and it's just hopeless and meaningless. You, you can also choose to believe that story, um, I, I was talking to a friend about Good Friday and we were talking about Good Friday and Easter. He's a pastor out in California. And he said, uh, I'm so grateful for Good Friday and Easter because without it, all we would have is our government. And I just thought, yeah, there's something to that. All we, and um, that's not a great look when all you have is your government. And historically, that's never been a great look and that's never gone incredibly well. Um, Christians have the choice, and we all have the choice of what, what you want to believe. Um, and, and my hope and prayer for, for followers of Jesus is that the, the resurrection today is not just a head thing, but it's a heart thing as well, and that, that you get it at, at a, core, a core level. Dwight Moody, the evangelist, uh, he died in the late 1800s, and he was very famous, did a lot of uh, teaching, uh, preaching, and listen to what he said about his death, his own death, about he was going to die, and he, here's what he said. He said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be alive, more alive than I am now. 
I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live forever. My prayer for you today is that you will know in your heart that that is true. That you will understand it, not just intellectually, but that you will understand it in your soul. Because it matters. It matters today. It matters when you lose someone you love. It matters when you think about your own death. We serve um, Jesus who's well acquainted with pain. And the Surgeon General in America said last week, said this week's going to be one of the hardest Americans have faced and he compared it to Pearl Harbor and September 11th and all that. Um, We serve a Jesus who is well acquainted with pain and sorrow and and, and suffering. Um, And I I, I want to address my skeptics here one more time, my doubters. Uh, I hope when this is all over, we can grab coffee because I'd love to hear your story or maybe we can Skype or whatever and just hear and, and help you work through it. Um, here's the truth. Everybody has doubt. Everybody. Um, in fact, the people who claim to be certain on all sides, Christians or non-Christians who claim to be certain that what they know is exactly right, those people make me nervous. Um, I, I, I think... Honest, the honest people need to say, hey, we all have, we all have some doubts no matter where we're at. And that's, that's a healthy and it's a good thing. So let's celebrate the resurrection today because it matters, especially when we face hard times. Uh, let's, let's, let's walk in the truth of it and celebrate maybe just in your home today. Um, but God is good. He is faithful and he defeated death. And we are the people who believe that and can walk, walk out in that truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for rising from the dead, for the resurrection that we celebrate today, that, that even death, that the world took their best shot at you and, and, and tried to knock you down, but even death couldn't stop you, that you came back from that and you taught your disciples again and you led them um, again. God, I thank you that we get to be the people of the resurrection. We get to be people who hope, who choose to believe a better story about the world and about what, what is happening uh, God, for those who have doubts and who are struggling right now, um, I, I pray that they will experience your mercy through others and maybe a sense of it from you as well. God, may, may the skeptics get to ask their questions. May the doubters get to wrestle with their doubts um, and, and so they can, they can connect into a, maybe a, a different story about what is happening in the world. God, thank you. Uh, for what you do for our sin and how you cover it and pay for it on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.